Well, thank you so much for your generosity and uh, financially making that happen, as well as uh, coming out and serving. And it's, that was just entirely too much fun, having a great time. And you got, you know, food going all over the place and having a fun time um, outside of Sunday and serving. I know a lot of groups came out and served in that capacity. And, man, some of you look really good in a hairnet. And so... And a beard net, you know, so thank you for being part of that. And that's what it's about. It's about getting the gospel out in whatever avenue possible so that the world can hear this truth. And before we jump into today's message, I want to take an opportunity to introduce you uh, and honor our elders. And so if our elders would come out, we have uh, eight elders that serve here at Rock Harbor Church. And what an elder is, it's an overseer. An elder as described in First Timothy 3 and Titus um, one is uh, an overseer, a shepherd. They provide uh, not just counsel, but also leadership within a church body, and God has a design for that. And I want to introduce each one of these uh, team members to you. So we've got uh, John Elliott, who chairs our elder team. And so we love John and his family, and I think we got some pictures of, of them here. Look at him. They're so good looking, except for John. He's, he's still good looking. If the glasses were on, it'd be better. Um, but we appreciate you and um, are thankful for your leadership on our team. Uh, and there's some elders that you may, may not know. Some, you know, communicate on stage. Or you see them in different environments. Um, Justin attends the hub with his family. And so this is Justin Jepson. Uh, he and his two boys and soon-to-be third kid on the way um, in June, June 5th, it sounds like. And so that would put you guys at about halftime of the trimesters in the quarters. And so is that... We're in the fourth quarter family, so we're going to make that happen. It's good. Um, Matt O'Brien has for, served for quite some time, our leadership team, and then we uh, moved to the elder uh, process after a couple years, and so Matt has served and has adult, grown, mature, way better than him, more like his wife, children. And so um, also today's a special day for Matt. I mean, you know, you've got your birthday, you have Jesus's birthday, and then you have St. Patrick's Day. Matt O'Brien is uh, celebrating uh, some big things today. So congratulations to you and all your people. And so um, then we have Derek Popple, uh, Derek and uh, Sharon, and they've got three girls. They've got a new one that just happened. And so uh, we are very thankful for just happened. I don't even know like what I'm saying right now. Okay. They look at me, I say dumb stuff. And then I look back at them. It just, yeah, this is our third service. We're doing really good. Um, but Derek is our, our newest elder and we're thankful for him stepping in and God setting you and your family apart. And a little known fact, he's from North Pole, Alaska. Make sure to see him. He's at the tent most Sundays and talk to him about that. So um, then we have Scott Harrop, a couple of staff elders. Scott is our executive pastor, has been serving as an elder uh, since uh, a couple of years now. And so we're thankful for you, your family, your one really tall son, and then your normal sized daughter. And so, and uh, Joy is absolutely the best part of you. And we love you, Scott, and I'm thankful for your service. John from Rockford, Illinois, um, he likes to be known as that. Um, but John uh, was a physical therapist. He served as an elder, and then we conned him into taking less money and joining our staff team. And so John is um, our, he's over our adult ministries. He directs and leads in that capacity. He was serving over family ministries, um, but the ministry of re-engage and marriage and groups continue to grow, and uh, John's stepping into that role, and we're thankful for that. And lastly, um, oh, I got to talk about myself. Okay, uh, then there's me. Okay, now there's Todd Gill. Um, uh, no, something important about this is there's a family behind all of these leaders. And the best part of all of us is our spouses and the kids 
and we're grateful to be able to serve in this capacity, and so I'm thankful for those people in that picture. Um, We've also got Todd Gill, who has served for seven years in the leadership of Rock Harbor, was actually one of those families I talk about when we met at our house with five families and all that. That was Todd and Darcy, and their kids were a lot littler back then, but we are thankful for the way that they have served and have just poured into Rock Harbor, and there's hardly a 12 o'clock service that the entire Gill crew isn't here and just pouring into this place, and so we're very thankful. I know Todd led in the area of finances, and so he directed our finances for many years, um, serves as a CFO and vice president and CPA and a bunch of other initials, um, DAD for dad, <laughs> uh, B-A-L-L-A, Bala, he's a basketball player, but um, Todd also um, was going to show some pictures of when Todd first joined our team, and I'm talking about him longer because he is transitioning off, we finally got rid of him, um, but he's, he's transitioning off, but I was going to show a picture of seven years ago, but he looks so much better now that you're like a fine wine, that you get better with time, and he has been an, a huge blessing to our team. We're honored to have him serve and are sad about the transition, but he's also set us up in an amazing way with the stewardship of things, and we'll continue to give oversight within that. But we are thankful for your leadership as a man, as a dad, and I know the way that you serve in this community of church and also in our, our local community. We are honored to have you as one of our elders. And so thank you for faithfully serving the Lord. Yes. Can we take a second to pray for this group of leaders? God, thank you for the leadership that you've placed, um, not just on this stage, although you have set these men apart, but their families that are represented um, uh, today through pictures. We're thankful for the leadership that's there. We're thankful for each one of those lives. And God, we pray protection around them. I know we want to fulfill what a a church modeling uh, scripture looks like and to have godly and set-apart leadership and uh, to be above reproach. And thank you for this team of people that you have blessed and given us. Um, we want to praise you for the way that we've been able to, to lead as a church and also pray towards the things that we have ahead. And I'm thankful for our newer elders and I'm also thankful for Todd and Darcy who've been around a long time and just pray for them. Thank you for the way that this team not just serves on an elder team, but each week and in lobbies and different spaces throughout the church, we are thankful for. They give us a good example to look towards and be directed and be uh, shepherded by. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's show our appreciation for this team of men. You know, as we uh, talk about uh, 2 Corinthians 3 um, today, and we talk about Paul's ministry and the way that he led as a church planner and a pastor. Um, leadership's important, and Paul is actually addressing leadership in these letters of why, you know, last week was on some, some people that had come in and began to teach a doctrine that didn't represent that of Jesus Christ and was more self-focused, and, and so it, it ties in really well. It's important. Leadership matters, and the structure of a church matters, and um, the authority that we submit ourselves to matters. These people that are bringing up these ac- accusations and saying, what authority does Paul have? I mean, other than the fact that he planted the church and led most of them to Jesus, what authority do you have uh, to send us a letter to direct us and correct us? And, and Paul's going, he's writing this letter to a group of people that are misusing communion. What that meant was they were taking the communion wine and a handful of them are they're getting intoxicated before they were receiving the Lord's Supper. So they're wasted. And he's like, no, who do you have this authority, Paul? And they're like, bro, you're wasted. 
wasted on communion wine. You need to get your stuff together. And so just imagine you're going, okay, I don't have a lot of patience for this, which by the way, I should probably know we use grape juice here. So if you want to be on the communion team and you think you're going to get a little extra, you can, but you're just going to have to go to the bathroom a lot. Okay. And that's all it's going to get. But Paul's writing this letter and he's addressing some things. And so Here's what he says in verse number one. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? For you yourselves are our letter of recommendation. He's like, do I have to have somebody else write a letter to tell you who you already know that I am? You're actually, you're the ones I'd have write my letter of recommendation. And now you're asking for this. And this letter of recommendation, it's been written on our hearts to be known and be read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He's saying, I don't want to honor myself. I like, let God bring the honor. And I don't need to write a letter of recommendation. We have this relationship. It's been written on your heart. And a letter of recommendation is getting someone else to say what you might be saying about yourself. You don't want the one that's not matching up to what you're saying, right? You want that one. If you're saying you're this, then this is what it matches up to be. And a sad state of affairs that people find themselves in, and I found myself in, is when we start to measure our worth by what people say versus what God knows. By what people say versus what God knows. And Paul, like, things are being said about Paul, and Paul's like, I'll give an account before God, like this ministry that I'm living out, like I'm going to answer to God someday. So you better believe that I'm doing everything within my power to honor the Lord. And I want to bring you guys into this surrendered relationship with him and finding like good doctrine. And what did Christ say when he was here upon this earth? And the letter that you're looking for, it's not going to be written on the tablets of stone. And we'll get to that in a minute, just like the the law was given to Moses. It's rather written on the hearts and written on flesh. Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul's saying my worth is in Jesus Christ. It's not my wealth. It's not my job status. It's not in his accomplishments. For if I try to put something together of myself and for myself, be careful. We should often pray this prayer. God, please save me from myself. God, save me from my self. Paul's saying my sufficiency is found in my Lord. See, if you go on the app, it says my sufficiency is found in my Savior, right? It's from my Savior. And that's because that's what it was until yesterday when I changed it, okay? So it says Savior, but I thought, you know, doctrinally, it's actually the Lord. Are we sufficient in what the Savior did for us? That Jesus offered himself, he poured himself out, his blood poured out as an offering for us. Absolutely. But also, what was Jesus doing? What was God the Son doing? He was doing exactly what God the Father had directed him to do. He wanted to obey his father. And so we got to know like authority matters. Order matters. God is a God of order. And so yes, is it true? Our sufficiency can be found in our savior. Yes, but it's also found in our Lord. Sorry, that was a big deal to me. I realized yesterday, I'm like, yeah, I probably, I want it to say Lord, even though the pastor of me is like my sufficiency, my savior. It's awesome. 
Anyways, it's my sufficiency is found in my Lord. Because God wants to do a work through us. He wants to do a work in us. Next week, we'll hear a little bit more about what it means to be a vessel, what it means to be a jar of clay. See, Warren Wiersbe says it this way. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Ministry following God because you've been God-made. You have been God-made, not self-made, not man-made. You've been God-made. And in being God-made, this means this ministry can take place with God's divine resources that he's created that he distributes to human needs. How? He does so through loving channels. And for what purpose? To glorify God. So yesterday, Feed My Starving Children, you were a loving channel. We partner with Mana Ministries. We partner with Vapor Ministries, multiple church plants within our city, around our nation, around our world. These are loving channels for God's glory. Divine ministry, divine resources meeting the needs that humans have, that we as sinners have, whether that's a physical need or whether that's a spiritual need. This is what we get to be part of. Part of. And verse number six says, who made us? God made us. God is sovereign. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Who has made us to be sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant? We're talking about letters of recommendation. Let's talk about a resume. Add that one to your resume. What do you do? I sell dairy products, right? And I'm a minister of the new covenant. How about that one? I used to be an officer, but I've retired now and I have a beard. I'm looking at the guy over here. But you know what else I am? I'm a minister of the new covenant. Try that one on, okay? That gets people's attention. They'll be like, what is that? You're a little strange, you know? But I kind of like you, okay? It's something that we've been called out to be. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've received his grace, the sovereignty of God has set you apart. He sought you, he bought you. He brought you in for a purpose, to be a minister of this new covenant. You've been brought in not to sit in. You've been brought into the family of God to serve in the family of God. Here's another thing that's important. I grew up in kind of like a sweaty Baptist church, okay? And I remember my pastor would always say things like, have you been saved? He changed his tone. What is God? When he said God, it was like God. It was like a D. It was a different kind of D. I like, it's like God, right? No, God. And you could just feel it. You're like, oh, God did. It has a double syllable on that D right there, you know? And so I just remember like kind of how he would say certain things. You've been saved. People serve people. You're like, oh, that's good. That's really powerful. See, you've been brought in not to sit in. And rather than just saved people serve people, I remember hearing this kind of thing when I was younger too. What have you done for the Lord? What have you done for the Lord? Meaning you have to perform for God. See, there's power in a preposition. I just made that up for this service because at the 8.15, I called it a wrong thing and they corrected me and said it's a preposition. I was like, okay, nerds. Um, (laughs) But there is power in a preposition it's not what have you done for the lord it's what are you doing with god there's a difference between for and with emmanuel god with us is god for us yes can we we serve for the lord we know who's the king of kings the lord of lords we know who our master is 
We know to whom we can call upon at any time. But there's power in this preposition that it's not about just the for, it's the with that we get to allow these divine resources to flow through us as loving channels for God's glory. And we get to be with him in this. So let me compare and contrast a little bit of this old covenant, new covenant. So you have your your paper there. You can write old on one side, new on another. And before we get there, I want to share about the old covenant a little bit. So we understand what this means because it's talking about this ministers of the new covenant. You're like, okay, it's my job description. What does that actually mean? I'm willing to do it. It's like most of your job descriptions, they just grow over time, right? And they change and they transition. Here's what it is. An old covenant was the fact that in order to pay for sin, there was a payment made once a year that an offering would be given of a spotless, a a lamb without blemish would be given by individual families for the payment of sin, recognizing that God could forgive, but by a gift, the very best gift could be given. And there was instructions around this, but also at that one time of year, a high priest would enter into the holiest of holies and make an offering for God's chosen people, for the children of Israel. Once a year, that's the old covenant that was given. The new covenant is that Jesus has come and Jesus is that spotless lamb for once and for all. The promised Messiah, the savior of the world, he offered himself to die. His blood was poured out on a cruel cross, but he didn't stay dead. He resurrected from the dead. Okay? That's the new covenant that we have in Jesus. This is the old covenant that we had through a system that God put together for his great love and for his glory uh, to be shown and for forgiveness to be given. Both involve forgiveness, just different methods for it. Romans 7.12 says, So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So holy, righteous, and good. The old covenant, the Old Testament, it is not bad. There is a new covenant that has come. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, it's glorious. But now there is something that's more glorious. The New Covenant, it's more glorious. Yes, old, glorious. New, more glorious. Something glorious, more glorious, has replaced that what was glorious. And God didn't make a mistake. It wasn't like, well, I tried that. It didn't really work. This is, I guess, I'll try something else. Jesus is the backup plan. That was not the plan. This was the plan all along. This was by God's perfect, sovereign glorious design for this to take place because if we say like god made a mistake or it was bad or the covenant was bad no it was glorious but it moved to something that was more glorious so on this this chart that you may have on the left side you've got old on the right side you have new old would be death a descriptive word of the old covenant would be death a sacrifice had to be made but the new would be life jesus didn't stay dead right he rose back to life on the old you would have stone tablets right the covenant was written on stone like ten commandments right on the new covenant it was written on our hearts paul was saying hey it's not about the stone it's about the the recommendation i can give you is written on a heart the old covenant is fading right it was for a season there was an expiration date that god designed for it but the new covenant was lasting it's eternal it's infinite this is god's plan his lasting long-term plan the old covenant you have condemnation right the old testament you've got the you've got multiple laws in the old testament 613 laws in the book of deuteronomy you've got the 10 commandments these are laws that are put together so that this identifies what sin is this is what condemns if you do these things if you have other gods if you covet if you 
commit adultery. If you, these things are saying condemnation, but then this new covenant is what? It's righteousness. Saying Jesus Christ, who was perfect, poured himself out for you, that you can become righteous by receiving this gift of Jesus Christ. See, before it was like the blood of that lamb covered for a year, but now the blood of Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb, is for ever for eternity and so when god looks at you he doesn't see the sin that you've committed if you've been saved or if you've come into a relationship with jesus christ if you surrendered your heart all the same different terms same meaning surrendered your heart to jesus christ for him to be the lord of your life guess what happens god doesn't see your sin rather he sees the righteousness of his son the blood of his son poured over you something glorious has now become more glorious hebrews 8 says it this way but as it is christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent i love that it's like bill and ted meets the bible this much more excellent adventure for those in the new covenant okay anyways um then the old covenant as he meditates is better since it's enacted on better promises it has better promises it is more glorious See, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, it's, you know, two tablets, ten laws, holy, just, and good. 613 laws in the book of Deuteronomy. And there are a variety of laws. Some of those laws were for civil reasons. Some of them were for hygiene. Believe it or not, there are laws that if abided by, there would be no STDs. I know that's like, whoa, where'd that go? Keith just said that in church, you know? Here's the thing. There's design. There's things that will benefit the purity of a way of living that God gave the people so that they would begin to act in this way, they'd operate in this way, and thus live a blessed life. Some of the things were for physical reasons. Some of those things listed in those laws were for spiritual reasons. Some of them apply directly to today. Some of them, it's a little bit different. It, doesn't, it made sense then that culture or things are different now, when they said in those days and times, don't eat of these foods, some of it was for refrigeration me- reasons, like they couldn't keep them for life, but it's different in our day and time. There was one that was like, hey, if an ox falls in a ditch on the Sabbath is arriving, what do you do? Like, what should you do? And I'm like, I think Chick-fil-A misread that. They're, it's like chicken falls in a ditch. You eat it. Every day of the week, you eat it, you know? It's like the ox. I don't know. I understand how that works. I'm just trying to get my gospel out there because I really like it. And especially on the home, way home from church after four services, like, what would be good right now? Well, not that. <laughs> so anyways, I'll, I'm glad they're Sabbathing. That's awesome. Um, praise the Lord. Um, but... The law identifies this is what sin is. But you know what this new covenant gives you? The ability by God's Holy Spirit to have victory over sin. To say no. Say yes to the life that we can have in Jesus Christ. And this gospel completely changes everything. When Jesus came, it completely changes everything. See, the gospel doesn't make good men better. It doesn't make bad men good. No, it brings dead men to life. That's the big difference. So when I used that word saved earlier, it was actually totally for a reason. Here's why. If the gospel doesn't make good men better, it means we can't perform our way. If the gospel doesn't make a bad man good, it makes a dead person come to life. So when you hear, I have been saved, you are admitting that you were dead. You were admitting that you were lost. You were admitting that you could not do it on your own. Instead, we like to say things like, well, I wasn't really that bad. I kind of grew up a pretty good kid. Um, I kind of 
you know, I, I don't really ever really remember. Like, I've always kind of been a Christian. I always kind of like, I kind of always have had my faith. Those are really dangerous statements to ever orate. And it's going to get a little bit quiet in here. Because you have to look at your life and say, am I saved? Am I alive in Jesus Christ? Have I admitted that I've sinned? Have I admitted that I'm dead? But now I'm alive. Now I've been brought to life. Now I have this hope that can only come from this new covenant. Not from performance. Not be a, a bad person getting a little bit better. Not a good person becoming a great person. No. A dead person coming alive because someone died and brought you life. That is salvation. And at the core of that is this decision, this surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. And this is a big deal for us to look at. See, the law, it makes us kind of perform some external acts. But rather the Spirit, it's an internal change. It's a transformation, Romans 12. A renewing of a mind. This little passage that we're reading today, just one chapter, the word glory is mentioned 14 times, 19 times in 2 Corinthians, but 14 times, and the word glory can be defined, even though it's a hard word to really define. The best that I could find, it's God, an expression of God's power, it's of God's honor, it's God's magnificence, it's God's splendor, and it's God's fame. It's about him. Everything points to him. It's underlined on the screen, but look how many times glory is mentioned starting in verse 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, and will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there's glory in the ministry of condemnation, hear that? There's a ministry of condemnation, but there's a new covenant, this ministry of righteousness, for it far exceeds its glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. I want to invite you, I know every week we have weekly reading on the program and in the app, but if you would read Exodus 34, I guarantee it'll bring some attention and some light to what we're talking about in these, these covenants that exist. See, there was a time where God would speak to his people, and then the people said, hey, uh, you're, you're speaking to us, and like we're excited, but this is stressful, and we don't know what to do with this. Would you speak through Moses? You speak to Moses, Moses will tell us. So God's like, okay, I'll speak to Moses. And so God would speak to Moses. There was one point that the children of Israel, they got to the Mount Sinai and they got to the foot of it. Moses went up into the mountain to meet with God for 40 days. And while he was up there, God gave him the Ten Commandments on tablets. But while he was up there, there was a party going on at the base. See, Moses' brother Aaron, who happened to be a Levite, who was a priest, he says, hey, give me all your jewelry and your gold and let's make a golden calf. And let's worship it. And Chick-fil-A said, 
Don't do that. It's all about the chicken, right? But they're worshiping this golden calf rather than the one true God. While Moses is up there worshiping God and meeting with God, having an encounter with God, they're down there partying. There's all sorts of sexual sin that's going on to the point when Moses comes down, he thinks that a war is happening or something's going on. And what does he see? He sees this golden calf and he takes it and he grinds it up and he puts it in the water and he corrects them and he slams these tablets down and breaks them. But God in his grace allowed Moses to go once again up that mountain and this time when he came down, he had two tablets. He had this new or this old covenant and he was given this by God, these laws which we now know as the Ten Commandments. But he came down with these and his face was shining. The first time he came down, his face wasn't shining. And I don't know all the reasons behind that other than I've had different experiences, encounters with God. They're different. There's a newness and a freshness to that experience. And Moses came down, even though it was a similar experience, up the mountain, meet with God, down the mountain, something unique happened in that moment. And God may have given you something where similar situations, similar financial stresses, similar marriage challenges, similar challenges with a child, whatever it would be, but he manifests himself differently. And Moses came down to the point his face shined so brightly that he had to wear a veil. Had to wear a veil. But we've been given this covenant. This old covenant that was glorious. And Paul begins to talk about this new covenant that was given. See, there's a power in weakness that we're witnessing here. Moses, a weak man. Aaron, his brother, a weak man. But God's power still being manifested. God made power. The new covenant tells us that there's this power that's going to come upon us. Acts 1.8, when Jesus is communicating his very last words, but you will receive this power upon salvation. When you receive this new covenant, there's a power that's going to live inside of you. You have God the Father. Remember the one that is sufficient for us? God the Father sent his only son, the sufficient payment that was made for us. And then God the Holy Spirit, who is sufficient for us, that we have the Holy Spirit active and alive in us, this power that we've been promised, this power, we will receive this Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit has come upon us, what are we supposed to do? That we'll be witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that we would communicate this message of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit alive and active inside of us. And Paul is saying, But even when Moses had this veil, there was two sides to this veil. One side was he was shining so brightly that he didn't want to intimidate everyone or them to go, wow, Moses, this is strange. But then there's also side that as it began to fade, and maybe you felt the same way when that tan that you got looked so good, whether it was sprayed on or earned, you know, (laughs) earning, it's like skin cancer. But, um, or when it starts to fade, that's that feeling of like, I'm not a tan as I once was. That kind of humility that kind of comes in. Moses is like, I used to be shining brighter. And some of you, you understand this, how it, how it fades. Some of you go straight from zero to burn. You know, you're the people at Roaring Springs that like you spray your kids and literally 84% of the park at the same time. It's just like, you're doubling it up, you know, just making it happen. 
And some of you, you can, you can tell that the fade is happening. And Paul is saying, here's the thing. This was glorious, but this is more glorious. And we can have an encounter that God gave us, and it doesn't mean that God made a mistake that first time. It means that God's methods may change. God doesn't change, but the way in which he works may change. It's why you parent one kid to the next kid a little bit differently. It's why you teach one kid to the next kid a little bit differently. It's that God power when God makes something and he forms and he fashions us and he loves you individually and you're different than maybe your brother. You're different than your best friend. You're different than that spouse. You're different than maybe you're you're put together by God's power. You've been God made and you've been made powerful in him. And his Holy Spirit is to be that life, that fuel to the power of Christ that's alive in you. See, that same guy, Aaron, that built that golden calf that formed that together. See, Moses and Aaron, they were of this group of the Levites. There were 12 tribes. And there was one that was the Levitical priesthood that took place. And there was a high priest even within that family that... They were the only ones to be able to go into this Holy of Holies. I'm telling you this for a purpose because there's another veil I want to talk about. So you couldn't get into this one room because a curtain or a veil stood in the way. And it was to protect you because if you went into that room and you were not the high priest, you would immediately die. And even the high priest could go into that room, but if he came in there with sin, he would die. But there was a sacrifice made once a year in that room for all of the people. But when the new covenant came, everything changed. For it wasn't a high priest making a sacrifice anymore. It was the high priest, Jesus Christ, being sacrificed. And that's when everything changes. Hebrews 9, nor was it offered himself, for him to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest who enters in the holy places every year with blood, not of his own. But then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all of the ages. I love that once and for all, once and for all to the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Glorious unto more glorious. It doesn't get any better than that. The new covenant, what we've been given. There's some good people in this room. There's some good people over at the hub. There's probably some good people that are watching online or listening online. But if you offer your life, you might be able to save a life physically, but you cannot save a life spiritually. But there was a sacrifice made once and for all for lives that all would come to repentance, that no, not one would perish, that all would be made new. New in Christ. Ministers of this new covenant. See, there were three powerful words that Jesus said on the cross. You know, he made seven statements while on the cross. I just want to talk about the sixth statement that we have recorded in Scripture. Tetelastai. It is finished. It also was a banking term. That tetelastai was a banking term used in Greek. It means paid in full. It is finished, paid in full. But you know, Jesus didn't speak in English. Jesus didn't share this in Greek. You know what he probably said in Aramaic? 
Shalom. Shalom. Peace has been accomplished. Wow. It is finished, paid in full, and peace has been accomplished. What do we long for? Peace. What do we long for in this life? Finality. We, we're looking for like what is and what's the answer and where are we headed and what's the purpose of things and, and what's the future going to look like and what happens in eternity and all these questions in our finite minds and we have God who's infinite, majestic, the most glorious. And he says, peace, peace has been accomplished. No greater words. And you know what happened upon him saying that? There was a veil that separated those rooms. And as he breathed his last breath, and the sky grew dark, and the earth began to shook or shake. Back up off my prepositions and my, my stuff, okay? A veil was torn, and it wasn't any veil. It was a 60 foot long and a 30 foot tall and between one and four inches in thickness. It took 300 Levitical priests to carry it in a proper way. 300. This is not something that could be tore by a human. And instantly, as the sky went dark and the earth began to shake, that veil split from top to bottom. And you know what that signifies? It's what I love about God's word. This is not just the greatest story ever told. This is the greatest life ever lived, the greatest life ever given, the greatest hope ever shared. Is that curtain being ripped top to bottom, that veil being torn top to bottom says God came to us, not man went to God. Because even with all the work and all the effort, if it could have even been torn, you start here. You don't have it intact and it rips from top to bottom. Only God can do that. Only God can pay your debt in full. Only God can make you a minister of a new covenant. Do you realize what we've been given in him? We've been given access. That veil ripped. Guess what? Now Hebrews tells us, let us then draw near with confidence near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to find help in a time of need. See, Moses, it says since verse 12, back at our our key passage in 2 Corinthians 3, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a fail over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. No, their hearts were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, a veil is removed. It's saying we have access to God. Once receiving the gift of Jesus Christ, who is our go-between, who is our mediator, just like you would long for a meeting with a CEO and you're going to talk to this person or a governor or a person of status, you would have to go through all these hoops to maybe, maybe, maybe get a meeting. Maybe, maybe, maybe bring some hope. But with God, we have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because that veil's been torn. 
But it also says that there's a veil over their eyes that when they would read the words of Moses, not, every, not to everyone have their eyes been lifted. Not to everyone has the scales been tore off their eyes. So last week when I shared 2 Timothy, what was it? 2 Timothy 4.2. And it talks about that we should preach the word, that we should reprove, rebuke, that we should exhort one another. And that what would we do with complete patience? Complete patience teach And I'm talking about false teaching and I'm thinking about my friends that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want the veil to be torn open. I want the veil to be lifted. I want the scales to be pulled from their eyes. I want their ears to be open so they can hear this truth. And I'm going, I can preach the word. If I tell them this, if I, if I get in a debate with them, maybe this will get them. If I, if I tell them my story and I maybe, maybe I, and how many times did I just say I? And here's the reality. With complete patience and with prayer, There's a sovereign God that loves them more than you love them. That would wish that none would perish. No, not one. That he will not force them or debate them or trick them or persuade. But rather he'll offer and he'll invite. And we offer and we invite. And there's a couple steps that we can take. Step one, talk to God about people. Step two, talk to people about God. Our step one is talk to God about people with prayer, with patience, complete patience. Step two, talk to people about God. See, when we get these out of order, we wonder why we get the results that we get. As part of today's message, and I have just a minute or two left, I want to ask if everyone would take out their communication card. I'll just wait for a second. There's something on here I want to draw attention to, and I would be honored if every single person would write a name down on their card today. And even if you don't, just put eyes on it. Because what it says, I would like to celebrate or I need prayer for, and then there's three blank lines. Is there someone that you would love to see begin a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there someone that you're praying that they would come to the Lord? You're praying they would surrender their heart. You're you're praying that the veil would be lifted so that they could see God and they could surrender their heart and their life to him. See him as their sufficiency. Would you write that name down and allow us as elders, us as staff, us as a prayer team to pray for you and pray for them? Because we want to go to God about people before we go to people about God. On this communication card, just to bring a little bit of attention, maybe for some of you, today is your day of salvation. You gave your heart to Jesus Christ as we talked about what Jesus has done for you. And you said, I'm surrendering to the new. I need new life in him. I'm a dead man that has come alive today. Would you share that with us, whether it's today or recently? Maybe you have questions about what a relationship with God means. Maybe it's to go public with that relationship with God, to be baptized, to plug into God's church. You've been brought in not to live in or sit in, but to serve in. And you can say, I want to use my gifts to honor God and to build his church, to bring life to people. I want to serve in some capacity. I want to go to Rock Harbor and find out what it means to attend and what it means to be part of this body. Whether it's through security team or working with kids, I've been brought into this family to serve with God in this family. So I'm stepping into that. And you can place each of these cards in the next step boxes as you leave.
as I close our time of message, I, I noticed this verse 17. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And this song that we get to sing together, it talks about this freedom. It actually is called Holy Ground, and that's what Moses was on when he went up on that mountain. And that's what we have access to, not once in a lifetime like Moses, or twice in a lifetime, or a couple times in a lifetime like Moses, right? A handful of times in a lifetime, or a high priest once a year. No, we have access to the throne of grace constantly, without end, because of a new covenant that's been given to us. Listen to the lyrics of this song. In wonder I surrender we fall down. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. God, let every burning heart be holy ground. For chains will fall. Fear will bow. Here and now, Jesus, you change everything. Lives will be healed. Hope is found. Here and now. Would you stand and sing this song with voices lifted high? For we are on holy ground.